go. I want to speak to the captain of the guard. Nope, he's dead. All right, deputy captain of the guard. Nope, he's dead. Uh, lieutenant of the guard. No, no, he died. Uh, kitchen boy. No, he's dead. <laughs> Funeral director. He's dead. Next up, Aya. And something happens. <gasps> it's not just Aya walking around. John's taken to the top of the Fist of the First Man, and there's, there's nobody there. It's just a scene of devastation. I mean, the last time we were there, an attack was on the way. So there are two frightening things here. One, oh God, all the Night's Watch, they've been killed. And two, oh no, we, there's been another massive battle and we've missed it. <laughs> yeah, and which one of those bothers you the most, actually? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, it's the second. <laughs> Hello and welcome to part two of Shark Livoral's coverage of A Storm of Swords. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And of course, um, we have to mention that we're doing Storm of Swords, the two-book version rather than one. So you can either buy it in two parts, A Storm of Swords, Steel and Snow, and then A Storm of Swords, Blood and Gold, or you can just buy it in one big volume. So we're doing it in the two-part thing. So we're currently on A Storm of Swords, Steel and Snow. And this is the second part. It's going to run from a chapter about Bran uh, on page... 122. 122, yeah, which starts um, the ridge slanted slightly from the earth. And we're reading as far as a chapter about Sam on page, I think, 235, which begins uh, sobbing, Sam took another step. So when when we get to there, we're stopping for today. And that's the chunk of book we're going to discuss all right, Bosh. shall we uh, go straight in? So, do we have a sorry? Um, do we have an idea of vaguely where this maps to the to series three of Game of Thrones? Ooh, if you watch um, the TV series, let me. Ha- I've got my sort of series. E- so, the first the, the the part we did last week pretty much corresponded to series one. Uh, sorry, series three, episode one. Apart from a couple of bits from episode two, this time we're looking at. It's mostly episodes two and three which we're covering, uh, with a little bit of episode one thrown in as well. <laughs> it really, it really gets sort of um, weird now. Uh, it really diverges from the book. So yeah. there are bits which um, don't happen for ages in the series. So if you if you're worrying about being spoiled for the series, especially um, sort of series three, if you haven't seen it, there will be the odd spoiler coming up in this because because the book sort of has events happening earlier and later. But, you know, if, if you've already seen up to sort of the end of Series 3, you'll, you'll be absolutely fine. There's nothing that happens from Series 4. There we go. Okay, shall we start? We shall. This, this part we, we would call Dark Wings, Dark Words. <laughs> <laughs> Every dark single words. title gets better when it's pronounced into a microphone slowly, doesn't it? I dark think so, yeah. Wings, I have to always do those. Dark, dark Words. words. <laughs> The Landman. Okay. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah, let's not Landman of the Lazarina again. <laughs> I could do that for hours. Okay, so the first chapter about Bran. Dave, are you the same? When I open a Bran, when I see Bran's name at the top of a chapter, I have a little sigh because it's, for me, it's the least interesting of all the characters at the moment. Really? Because, yeah. well, that's interesting because for me, that's Arya. Oh, like, right. Arya has become. Like I said, so many different ways to go for a walk in Westeros, and I'm just I'm quite bored with it because it, it seems to be yeah. the same thing happens again and again and again. Nothing really changes for her. Bran, 
I kind of I have more of an unresolved thing with with Bran. I'm like you know, he's like all of this time has been put into making him a character that's got this power, it can be inside wolves. You've got Jojen and Mira, the Kranigmen kids, and you don't really know kind of where what their kind of angle is and we haven't mm. really learned much about their characters. So I feel like there's more to learn there. Um and and it's in the north and I'm interested in that. Um, whereas compared to Arya, like Arya's kind of like I'm still not convinced Arya isn't just going to get savaged. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I could imagine Arya getting killed off. You know, whenever there's an Arya chapter, I'm like, is this the one where random cruelty just causes her to get swept away by a river, or you know, stabbed by somebody with a big spear, or something like that? Um, yeah. And so with Arya thing, I'm like, kind of just if you're probably going to kill her, just get it over with. Whereas with Bran, I feel like that's less likely to happen. Yeah, well, actually, that's the reason why I still am quite enjoying the Arya chapters because I always have that sort of tension and any moment uh, I think something bad might happen. Whereas yeah. with Bran, even though he's also trekking through the wild now, it seems to be the much quieter, um, less populated part of Westeros and so it yeah. seems quite safe. Yeah. But, I mean, okay, let, let's go into it. There's, it starts off again. A lot of these chapters with Bran at the moment are... are a, around these wolf dreams that he has where he effectively inhabits the body of Summer and um, he's doing uh, that's Summer's the name of his wolf and he's doing this here and eventually he's called back by Jojen and and Bran doesn't want to Bran's preferring being the wolf than he is being the boy Mm. and it kind of got it it struck me a bit like when Bran's response to to Jojen making him come back to his his own body is kind of like a a child's response or a, a Went for to when they sort of playing a really good computer game. It could be even no, an adult yeah. when you playing a really good computer game, and uh, and then you get dragged away from it. And sort of that, the alternative reality is a bit more interesting at the moment than having to go and you know set the table for tea or something like that. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? I want it. I'm a wolf. It kicks ass <laughs> being a wolf. I don't want to lay the table. I don't want to have to feed myself. Yeah, that's what it is. You're absolutely right. Uh, there's this decision for them. They're going to strike out for the wall. Um, they want to go. They're going to go north uh, to see the three-eyed crow. Apparently, this three-eyed crow, which Bran's been dreaming about, might actually exist north what? of the wall and want to speak to him. Yeah, but how? What has he got? A fucking appointments book? Hello, you're <laughs> through to the three-eyed crow. Like he's a fucking crow. He's not got an office. Well, well, mm. exactly. Uh, so it, it looks like f- through these dreams, I mean, you've got Jojen and Bran who can both have these weird sort of dreams, and through that they might be able to get some connection with this something north of the wall which is calling to them, it seems. Hang on, um, hang on, hang on. Hmm. Crows, right? This is the nickname for Men of the Night's Watch. To be three-eyed Correct. is to be is to have this warg ability. Are there yes. any wargs in the Night's Watch? <laughs> You think this might be John? Oh, wouldn't that be brilliant? You'd just be really happy about that, wouldn't you? Just getting John and uh, John and Bran in the same place. Yeah, that'd be great. Although there's two things there. One is that if it is John, um, we've not. Well, the main thing is if it, if it is John, he's either isn't aware that he's calling out to to Bran, mm. or George Martin just hasn't shown that at any point when we've been with John. And I think that'd be a bit of a cheat if that's the case. The fact that we've been in <laughs> John's true. head so often yeah. and we just happen to have not been when he's been going to, to Bran. Come yeah. and visit me north of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. I don't know. Maybe it's another, maybe it's somebody else north of the wall and maybe it's not John, yeah. but I just, 
Okay. Oh, it could be the farmer. It could be John just doesn't isn't aware he's doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be. I, either way, I think that's quite exciting. So again, it's another reason for me to be like, oh, you know, there's more plot in this. I'm, I want to see what happens. Yeah. The only other thing I want to say about this chapter is Hodor. Who I'm, Hodor, Hodor, <laughs> Hodor, 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 Hodor. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps... It, it sounds like that he, Hodor really enjoys just saying his name in different ways. And he just sort of... He, sometimes he sits in the corner like almost going, Hodor, Hodor, Hodor. And then suddenly he'll go, Hodor! <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> what's he trying jump. to say? He, I think he's trying to say Hodor. <laughs> <laughs> He's such, a, he's such a funny character, isn't he, Hodor? He's yeah. A, this is a really sweet, massive bloke who just says Hodor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, the, the, I've seen that online there's a, there's a flow chart uh, which says sort of the first thing is, you know, the box says Hodor with a question mark and it says yes or no and obviously the, the response to both is Hodor. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Davos next. Um, Davos is on a ship. Um, he, he's speak, he ends up speaking to Salador's son. This is his old friend, who's a pirate, who joined up with uh, he joined up with Stannis's navy and managed to escape the Blackwater because he was effectively the reserve, I think. Mm. So he didn't go down into the into the Blackwater before it all set alight. Um, and Davos is back in sort of the Bay of Dragonstone now, and and Davos is sort of just thinks about how it was so full and of like ships and uh, vibrant when he was last here and now it's yeah. almost empty there's hardly yeah. any ships left it just shows how far Stannis has fallen now in terms of power yeah um, now Salado San is effectively working he's still working for Stannis and he's almost like a privateer now mm. or um or sort of an enforcer of of these like really high customs taxes that Stannis is putting on any merchant ships that come in. So basically, <laughs> Salador San sails out, says, "Give me half of your half of your wealth because that's what I've been allowed to ask for." And if they don't like it, he just takes all of the wealth instead. <laughs> He's really pragmatic, isn't he, Salador San? Yeah, absolutely. I I quite liked him as well in this because he yeah. like he seems to, he seems to have like genuine feeling towards. Um, towards uh, Sir Davos and kind yeah. of like, my friend, it's so good to see you. And I started off on a Reddit and I was like, he's being too slimy. So uh, what is this yeah. about? Um, but then after a while, it became clear that he was like, kind of, I really like you. And over the course of this chapter, he's like trying to talk him out of going up to Dragonstone. He's like, look, there's just nothing good that's going to happen to you up there. Just don't, just stay out. And he's yeah. actually looking out for his mate. And I ended up quite liking Salador San out of this. Yeah, I agree. And he, he sort of he, he makes this offer, doesn't he? He says, you know, join up with me and we'll we'll make a load of money together and, you know, it's gonna be a great thing for both of us and and you just think it is a great idea for Davos, but he just can't let go of the fact that he feels he owes something to Stannis, doesn't he? So, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean and he's a very honourable character and that's why you like him and why you are very, very worried for his safety. Because hmm. honour has not shown itself to be a survival trait in Westeros to this point. No. Now, uh, Davos gets news of sort of, of what happened in the wider picture of the battle. He hears about how Stannis lost. There's this rumour again of Renly's shade leading the charge. It keeps cropping up this, doesn't it? That some kind of ghostly Renly was involved in in, in helping... Uh, in, in helping the, uh, helping the, you know, the, the, the Lannisters and the Tyrells win. Mm. Uh, and also that... One of Davos's sons, Devon, who's this, effectively, I think, a squire for Stannis, survived the battle as well. So at least one of his sons is still alive. Mm. Um, 
slightly less good news. Melisandre is still obviously on the on Dragonstone. Her hmm. power has, has only grown because the fact she wasn't there now is obviously seen as an example of how she, how powerful she is. The only reason they lost people are saying is because she wasn't there. Hmm. Um, it's kind of the opposite effect as to what Stannis wanted to happen. If you remember, he didn't take Melisandre to the battle at King's Landing because he wanted to show he could win on his own and he's promptly shown that he can't win on his own <laughs> so it's yeah. completely backfired yeah yeah um, yeah I, I, well and and that's like that's something that I really didn't realise was going to be such a a bummer at the end of yeah. at the end of the Blackwater I was like so Stannis lost I don't like Stannis very much great but realising yeah. that that actually enhances the power of the character that I really dislike Melisandre it's yeah. just like, and, oh no, seriously? Come on! <laughs> and it could be three things, couldn't it? It's either um, she has no power over this and she's a bit of a charlatan and it's just blind luck and it wasn't her fault either way. Mm. Or she's genuinely powerful. I mean, we've seen that she does have some kind of power. She can have shadow babies. Mm. She's genuinely powerful and the very, it is true, the very reason they didn't win was because he, he pushed her away. Mm. Or there's option three, which is... Um, she calls them to, in sort of in her anger. She sort of punished Stannis for not taking her with her. So it was actually her doing that this happened in some way. Um, which one do you sort of do you come down on at the moment with those? It's quite hard to. I mean, it's impossible to know. But yeah, well, I, it could be either way, and I know what I want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I think. She's an undeniably creepy presence, and mm. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And I think her power has only been only been kind of um, enhanced. I tell you what, I was thinking while I was reading this though, and um, I, I recently spent um, spent a little bit of time in a in a former, well, actually a current sort of communist dictatorship, and was sort of reading about secret police and stuff. And um, it was really weird reading this after doing that and realising that that's what this is. There's this whole thing where, like, nobody you speak to would be like, oh, yeah, the Red Woman, she's a good one. Yeah, definitely mm. trust her. But everybody's frightened to speak out against her. And it's yeah. exactly the same thing with a kind of police state where you have <laughs> even saying the wrong thing you know, people end up looking over their shoulders and they don't know who's listening all the time. And you really see that kind of I don't know who's listening vibe mm. in this chapter with yeah. Salador Sarn. He's like, you know, uh, Davos says, I'm going to kill her. And he's like, he doesn't even kind of go, don't say that. He says very loudly, oh, such a funny man you are. Always so funny. <laughs> yeah. What a great joke. For fuck's sake, yeah. please say that it was a joke. You know, there's this kind of desperation. You can almost see his kind of wild eyes because he knows that he's living in a place where all of his words are forfeit. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's this sort of... He makes this plea to... You're right, he's trying to stop Stannis from going, isn't he? And mm. he's saying basically, you know, what's the best that's going to happen is you try to kill her and you succeed and they'll burn you. Because she's burning people alive, by the way, now as well. Mm. You, you, you'll try to kill her and you succeed, in which case they'll burn you. Mm. Or you'll try to kill her and you won't succeed, in which case they'll burn you. <laughs> so, so don't, you know, there's nothing there for you. Yeah. But Davos basically says, you know, I've got to try. And in yeah. the end, they part on quite angry terms because... Salad Hassan just can't stop him, and he just sort of says, "We'll go if you're going." And he, he almost he almost tries to guilt trip him into not going, saying, "And I'll be the one who has to go to your to your weeping wife and with your sort of with, with your your remains and and tell her that you died from a fruitless cause." Mm. And it's this it's this kind of anger um, which really and um, this 
makes your likes harder, Sam, even more because it feels genuine, doesn't it? He's genuinely angry at just his, his friend just for for being so stupid as to throw his life away from from his yeah. point of view. Yeah, and it's a good... And actually, that's a character dynamic that we very rarely come across, I think, so far in A Song of Ice and Fire. Is You'd have to call it, wouldn't you, for want of a better word, like the bromance. Like that kind of like, <laughs> go on then, fuck off, you idiot. Go and get yourself yeah. killed. Um, you And that anger coming from a place of, of like, caring... Um, that vibe we haven't actually seen very much of, which is interesting because it's supposed to be about camaraderie and brothers in arms and all the rest of it. And mostly it seems yeah. that fighting next to somebody actually just means that you're waiting for an opportunity to betray them in the song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. So this is a nice moment that's an, an exception to that. Yeah, although you, you do get a lot of people genuinely um, loyal and genuinely mm. following people into to, to death. But you, you're right as far as it's just you very rarely get these sort of cool heads saying mm. don't do it normally if you've got two friends you know one of them is the person in charge and the other one basically when when one of them says right we've got to go and do this now regardless of the danger and the cost the other person just says right let's cowboy up let's do it and mm. you know and it's just that blind loyalty and it's it's unusual in this sort of social world to see two people who are on a similar footing who can actually argue with each yeah, other and still be loyal. that's true, isn't it? That makes yeah, sense. yeah, yeah, because usually it's all defined by status. So, so Davos does decide to go to the island to try and speak to Stannis, who's now locking himself away and speaking only to the Red Woman at the moment. Oh, always a good sign of, uh, of cogent political leadership, that. Exactly, exactly. It's interesting that he... <laughs> He sort of gets to the gate and he doesn't recognise the guy on the gate and then he asks for various different people and they've all died and it just shows just how decimated Dragonstone's become as well. All these people have gone off and haven't come back and in their place are just all these strangers now and no one even recognises him. And it's darkly, I mean, it's awful, but it's darkly funny as well, isn't it? You know, he kind of goes up and says, uh, so is the, uh, the captain of the guard, I want to speak to the captain of the guard and he goes, nope, he's dead. He goes, all right, deputy captain of the guard. Nope, he's dead. Um, yeah. uh, uh, lieutenant of the guard. Oh, no, he died. Um, yeah. uh, kitchen boy. No, he's dead. You know, it's like, <laughs> shit. Am I in the right Funeral place? Director? He's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, so he does end up getting escorted inside. He's told to wait in the gardens. Mm. He comes across this child called Edric Storm. He's ba- one of Robert's bastards. Mm. And he, I don't know, he's only a very quick, uh, a quick introduction, but they, he's quite impressive, this little kid. On A, he speaks like a king. Like he demands things of Davos straight. You know, he says, oh, show me this and do this, mm. even though there's this little kid. Mm. And also he's actually quite, but even though he's quite brusque like that, He's quite caring as well when, when he sort of finds out bits and pieces about Davos. He obviously is interested in him. Mm. And you just I don't, I don't know, I just saw a real reflection of his, his dad in him, um, Edric Storm. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I, I, I kind of saw a little glimmer of wouldn't this be an interesting character to kind of stick with a little bit and sort of I wonder if he'll become more a part of the story. Because in a mm. way, when you've created a king as like brilliantly like f- kingly and flawed as Robert, and then killed him. You've got to bring in a Robert replacement at a certain point. So he brings in Renly, and then he gets killed. And then he does it again with Edric Storm. So maybe it's third time lucky. It just seems to be a character type that he just couldn't bear to throw away, like the classic charismatic king type. Mm. 
uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see we'll see where where Edric goes. If you remember, the only other thing we've seen of Edric Storm so far is um, Courtney Penrose. Do you remember Storm's End? Mm. Effectively, the, the Storm's End. Courtney Penrose was the Cast, uh, the Castilian there, mm. and they wouldn't surrender the castle to Stannis mm. because they were worried about what was going to happen to Edric Storm. Mm. And he's obviously ended up on Dragonstone. So when the Red Woman killed Courtney Penrose and Stannis took the castle. They got Edric anyway, and now yeah. he's ended up on Dragonstone. Yeah. So Davos's plan is to get close to Melisandre and assassinate her. And this plan is stopped before it begins, because when someone comes down to get him from the garden, they don't take him to Stannis. They take him to the dungeon. <laughs> so they've already, they've already found out about it. Yeah. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. Secret police. Ears everywhere, mm. and it's it's disturbing. Yeah. Or has has Salad Hassan shipped him out? Did, did he try and convince him to get away and then say, oh, well, you know, what, what that angry exchange at the end where he said, well, go if you're going. He thought, there's nothing else I can do for you. I've got to tell somebody. Ooh, well, that would be that would be a pretty egregious sundering of the bros before hose policy that we've seen pursued <laughs> in, uh, in Westeros. Nah, I, I don't think it's Salad Hassan. I think that would be a little bit... That's a little bit out of character. Maybe that's just because I liked him so much. I don't want him to turn out to be exactly the same traitorous, murdering bastard as everybody else. <laughs> I could be wrong. Well, we shall see. We will. Um, next up, we're back with Jamie. And the, uh, Jamie and Brienne and Sir Cleos have reached an inn. Uh, it's called the Inn of the Kneeling Man because it's uh, it's got this little sign of a sort of a bloke, a king kneeling down. Mm. And it's this is where the old, the last king in the north before Rob mm. came south with his army. And he saw this massive Targaryen army with the dragons, and he thought probably best to bend the knee. Um, so this, it was this king called Torin, and um, yeah. he bent the knee. So and that's where it happened. Mm, mm. So they, it turns out they're, they're, the inn is occupied, but it doesn't appear to be by the innkeeper uh, or by the old innkeeper. It's this bloke and his and this boy who I think might be his son or might not be, mm. and they're. He's a he's a funny character, this innkeeper, isn't he? Yeah. One hand, you got to be you got to be ruthless to survive here, and he's sort of doing what he needs to do. Mm. He also seems quite friendly, and he gives them food and drink, um, and he's quite shrewd, bargaining for things like the horses. But also, I don't know. There's a bit of a mistrust between them as well, isn't there? Everybody's suspicious of each other here. Mm. Tell you what, it reminded me of what? It was almost like a zombie movie. You know, you're in this desolate wasteland where absolutely nobody yeah. is to be trusted, and you come across a holdfast that's full of food and weapons, and you open the mm. door to a shotgun in your face. Like that's exactly what it was. Yeah, and uh, and with that same kind of creepy undertone, which I think he did. George Martin does on purpose here because he keeps saying, um, "The innkeeper, who was not an innkeeper." <laughs> you know, and keeps going, yeah. "This innkeeper, or whatever he was." Um, <laughs> Like, it's almost kind of campy. It's almost kind of overdone, like, reminding yeah. you that something something kind of uh, untrustworthy is likely to be going on here. Yeah, they go out to the stables and um, see these three horses which they're planning to buy. Mm. And the stables are, are really mucky. Mm-hmm. Um, there's loads of, like, horse shit everywhere. Mm. And... When I when I read this at the start, I thought, well, that makes sense, and it's the kind of thing you don't think about that often. But when 
when you could die the next day and everything's or you could see this building raised to the ground the next day and it's happening all the time all over mm. you, things like mucking out the stables just won't happen you're not because people do it, don't right? see the yeah. point yeah, yeah. Uh, i thought it was quite an interesting bit of color but later on we find that um jamie and brienne read something else into this um and there's an extra reason for it because yeah. they uh, reject this. There's this offer of uh, the innkeeper offers them a, a bed for the night, and mm. they refuse it. So Cleos is desperate to take it. Apparently, when when they refuse it, he's uh, described later as being in mourning for his lost feather bed. <laughs> but um, but Jamie and Brienne decide not to take it, and Jamie makes a point of saying, "Let's you know, let's move out of here as soon as possible because I'm, I'm sick of standing in all this horse crap." And he wonders if Brienne's going to get the meaning behind his words, and. Um, when they do leave, it turns out they they think, Brienne and Jamie think that more horses have been there very recently. That's why there's so much crap around. Yeah. So the innkeeper's not being honest. He's not all he seems, and he must have friends who he's not talking about. And that's also the reason they don't follow his advice in the, the road to take to carry yeah. on the journey, yeah. and they yeah. go off in a different path. Yeah. Very shrewd, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And um, and I suppose that's that's why you and me probably wouldn't survive in a medieval world full of treachery and subterfuge. Because yeah, we'd just look at definitely. a big pile of crap in a yard and we'd be like, yeah, fair enough, I wouldn't want to tidy it up either. But they're like, aha, I did use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, when, they, when they continue the journey, Jamie, uh, I'm not sure if Jamie says this or if he sort of he considers it himself, but we get the story of uh, Jamie joining the Kingsguard and um, how he, he took the white to be near Cersei. Oh, yeah. This is an interesting little thing, isn't it? Cersei got sent, Cersei got sent off to King's Landing, mm. and and he they were going to be sort of pulled apart. And she said to him, you know, if you join the Kingsguard, you could always be near me. Mm. So he does it. And then when Tywin finds out <laughs> that Jamie, his son and heir, has now become a knight of the Kingsguard, yeah. Tywin leaves... <laughs> and takes Cersei with him in anger uh, and goes back to Castle Rock. So they end up split up anyway, and Jamie's stuck serving the Mad King as Cersei's just sat at Castle Rock on her own. Do you think Tywin knew that his his firstborn two children were shagging each other? And that's mm, why that's he did. a good it. question. Do you think it it's was. a good question. You know, because otherwise, why is that a rational response? Great, now I've got a guy in the King's Guard as well. I'm extremely powerful. No, no, it's, it's, it's a dreadful move for Tywin because. Uh, Aerys does this. I think it says another point. He he does this to spite Tywin because Tywin, uh, Jamie Lannister is the heir to Casterly Rock, and Tywin's all about the family yeah, and yeah. you know a strong. Line. And when Jamie is taken to the King's Guard, he can't have children and he can't he can't take Casterly Rock. Mm. And the only other child that Tywin's got who could do that is Tyrion, yeah. and obviously he hates Tyrion. Yeah. So this is sort of the the biggest affront that the king could have done to to Tywin. That's why Tywin throws the hand, like resigns from being hand of the king and leaves. Hmm. Um, and this is this sort of sows the seeds of what happens with Robert's rebellion and why Tywin Lannister decides to sack the city in the end and not join Aerys. He still yeah. remembers this 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 whole thing about a Lannister always pays his debts. He still remembers this sort of massive attack on his own interests which yeah. happened yeah that's true and actually this answers a question that i i was kind of wondering about before when we uh last time when we were talking about um Tyrion's relationship with his father mm. and and how his father's just really really angry that Tyrion's his only legitimate heir 
Yeah. And it's been a question for two books now. It's like, well, if you hate him so much, why did you let your son join the Night's Watch? And of course, the answer is he didn't. The um, King's Guard, yeah. Yeah, the King's Guard, sorry. Yeah, so like, how many, like, Jamie doesn't even seem to regret this, even a little bit. Like, the fact that in order to continue having sex with his sister, it's not like there was anybody else, there was nobody else in the country that was willing to sleep with him. Mm. But in order to do that, he just makes this appalling decision. It's weird. Yeah. I tell you what I liked, though, about this, is that he then has this long reminiscence where you actually see him kill the Mad King. And that's mm, such yeah. an important moment in in the development of his character and in the recent history of Westeros. I just yeah. I I loved it. I absolutely loved it because um because that means that you've got you, you've seen it and you see all of these things that everybody else has only ever kind of referred to. You see it in the first person perspective. Really, yeah. really, really fascinating uh, stuff. I just love little nuggets of plot like that. Yeah, and the fact that um, sort of once he's killed Ares mm. and he's standing over the body with the bloody sword, mm. I think it's Lord it might be Krakenhall or Krakenhall comes in is the next person to enter the throne room, and he basically says to Jamie, you know, who shall we? He basically says to Jamie, who's who's going to be the king? And Jamie decides what's going to happen. Yeah, and he he thinks about he considers various. I think he considers uh, the option of proclaiming. Uh, Someone, somebody, somebody else, king, and mm. just despite his dad, <laughs> and and in the and in the end, he um he let he sort of he sits back. Oh yeah, he thinks of putting on one of the Visalist, Targaryen kids. Yeah, 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 and j- just to sort of just to see what would happen because <laughs> it prejudices <laughs> as he is. And yeah. in the end, he decides to to sort of leave it at that, he, and he just sort of sits on the Iron Throne, mm. waiting to see who comes in to claim it, yeah. and. Uh, in the end, it's the next person to arrive is Ned, yeah. who immediately judges him a kingslayer and the worst form of bastard. Uh, treasonous bastard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the two interesting things that that kind of came out of this for me, this this whole little scene. First of all, is it's a really interesting nuance in the relationship between Jamie and his dad, which we've just seen none of so far, and which is actually seems to be really important because the whole Lannister thing is about forwarding the Lannister name, right? Um. And on the one hand, you've got uh, you've got Jamie actually showing himself here to be quite reckless. Like everything up to this point has kind of made you think that Jamie is exactly the kind of arrogant knobhead that could have a fifty-year reign. He's exactly the kind of guy who makes <laughs> the perfect feudal king. You know, he's better at fighting than everybody else. He's charming and good-looking and utterly pitiless. And the country wouldn't be very happy, but it would have him as king for a long time. But the mm. fact that when he has the chance to take the throne and kind of make a decision, what he actually says is, oh, I don't fucking care. Yeah. Shows a kind of recklessness, which I think would have made him actually a terrible king and would make him a terrible lord of Casterly Rock. Just the kind of, because mm. it's clear the only thing that he really cares about in his life is killing people and shagging Cersei. Yeah. And that's it. Um, and that in turn makes me think of, uh, with this kind of new nuance in the Lannister relationships, what's the score when, uh, when, uh, with like Tywin's, Tywin clearly does not have two kids that are similar to him and one kid that we like who's different. You know, I've kind of taken the thing of mm. Cersei and Jamie and Tywin all being kind of cut from very much similar cloth. And I think they are, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're on each other's side or they'll never act to endanger one another. Mm. Um, and so I actually think the Lannister position could be really seriously 
uh, shaky if Tywin Lannister dies because it all hangs off of Tywin Lannister's immense personal presence and wealth and and ruthlessness. Um, yeah, and I don't think Jaime has has that, and I don't think Tyrion has that, and I think Cersei's just fucking mental. You know, yeah. I, I think we've, we've seen these signs of Jaime. He is a reckless character, mm. um, and you're right to point out this point in the throne where he just says, oh, "I don't care." And he seems to be driven by his feelings completely. He's completely in in sort of in a servant to his feelings, really. Because he, this whole stuff with Cersei is it's all about just because how he feels about his sister, um, regardless of how weird that is. Um, mm-hmm. And things like the reason he was captured, I think, by Rob is because he he's a better fighter than Rob but Rob's a better tactician and Jamie just follows whatever he just charges in bright, blindly mm. and and with you know with Ned in the first book where he hears about Tyrion being captured and he just goes into a rage tracks down Ned and, and almost kills him in the street mm. as a response and he's just whenever something happens to him it, he, he rarely thinks does he he just does what he the first thing that he thinks he, you know he should should happen and you're right, he's he's definitely not the cold, calculating tactician that his father is. Mm. And, and, yeah. I wonder whether in the future this is going to be a real weakness in, in the Lannister. Because you could see Jamie and Cersei, like if their dad ever finds out or it becomes, it becomes undeniable for him what they've been doing. I wouldn't mm. be surprised if you didn't have a lot of kind of, you know, within the House of Lannister, a lot of violence. Mm. Um, and and uh, and well, I mean, always, always presuming, of course, that Jamie does anything other than fall into a river and die. But he's a POV character, <laughs> so I'm going to presume he's going to be around for a little while. Um, yeah, I just there's a really interesting little nugget here. Um, uh, I liked it. Mm. Uh, next, next up, we go from one, one Lannister to another. We go to Tyrion, um, who is visiting Varys. Uh, I've got a minute. Yeah, and Tyrion's pretty much been sidelined now, hasn't he? He doesn't really know what's going on. He goes to Varys to sort of try and find out, and Varys hasn't really been speaking to him either. Mm. He basically manages to find a way to sneak into Varys' room to actually get a word with him. Huh. Uh, Grandmaster Pycelle has, uh, has returned. Of course He's he has. He's been restored. You can't be without yeah. those beats for very long. The rhythm <laughs> is going to get you. <laughs> it's turned out, it turns out that... Tywin was in, under, wasn't really planning to bring Grandmaster Faisal back, but um, the maces at the Citadel were going to send another one over in his place, mm. and it was going to be someone who was pretty much chosen by the Tyrells. Yeah. So obviously Tywin thought, better to have this useless guy who is at least loyal to me yeah. than this bloke coming in who, who's going to serve the Tyrells. Yeah. Uh, Bor- Boris Blout's been returned to the Kingsguard as well. <laughs> Unbelievable. This guy, is he the luckiest guy in Westeros? Because I, I can't believe be. he's survived three books. Yeah, because he's just a numpty, isn't he? He's not even... I mean, he's, he's, he's spiteful and vicious and nasty and small-minded and mean, but he's also just really fucking thick. And, yeah. you know, better men than him have died in every single chapter of this series so far. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tyrion's trying to find out about Mandon Moore, the King's Guard who tried to kill him. Mm. And it's interesting that Varys says here that in many ways the Mandon Moore was the perfect Kingsguard mm. because he he was this very cold and uh, very quiet character who didn't have any friends or family to speak of and he just served utterly mm. without question. Mm. 
And and he's pretty much, you know, when you create the King's Guard, he's exactly the kind of person you want in that job. Yeah. I just thought it was quite interesting considering he tried to kill Tyrion, yeah. but it was on, obviously on orders of someone. Yeah, and so um, he is the kind of person you want, but actually... It, I think that tells you that this whole it's this whole system of like vows and tightly structured loyalties and stuff doesn't really mean what everybody wants it to mean because if you think about it he's perfect to be in the king's guard in that he takes orders and carries them out with with ruthless efficiency and loyalty but who's he loyal to because he's been given a, like he serves the king who is a child so there's a queen mm-hmm. regent who's ruling basically for the king but then there's a hand of the king as well and so the one of these two kind of second in command roles tells him to kill one of the others hmm. you know and and he does it um but like it's just somebody with that kind of an inflexible approach is is more of a liability than a good, I think. Well, it's, it, in as far as who's his loyalty to, I think his his loyalty. If you look at, do you remember the the riots when that happened, mm. and he was his sort of job that day was to protect Sansa. But mm. when it all kicked off, he was next to the king, protecting him. Yeah. And I think Mandon Moore is utterly loyal to the king, mm. and that's 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 his first, and and then everybody else is secondary, yeah. and that's what he's good at, uh, and that's why he's a good king's guard. Because he takes that bit yeah. <laughs> very seriously, yeah. but that does make a question on he—he's he, he's not the kind of—he's definitely not the kind of character to just do something of his own initiative. Mm. So who put him up to it, and is it Cersei? Mm. Well, I—you know what—you're absolutely right. I've been here. I have been assuming, and maybe it wasn't. Um, but we don't. But we, we, don't know. we don't know either way. Yeah. But I, I just get a feeling there might be like a, a push in that direction. There, mm. you could be right there actually. So we we see that Tyrion is uh, <laughs> that Tyrion had those kettle blacks uh, in his pocket before. So Cersei had had bought these. They brought these three knights to court. Hedge, three twin, three hedge uh, brothers, right. hedge knights. I love that, that, was that. It, yeah. shit knights. <laughs> uh, one one of them has become a member of the Kingsguard, and she was paying them to be her sort of guys. And then Tyrion paid them more, so they were effectively double agents. Well, now they're back under the control of Cersei completely. Mm. And it seems that Tyrion's not going to be able to prize them away again. It's just another example of him losing that, that yeah. power that he built up so carefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's this little bit as well where Tyrion wants to see Shay. He does see her at the end of this chapter, but he's he sees her across the sort of yard being helped out by this like really big, strong knight who sort of... There's just this moment between them where he sort of helps her out and she sort of brushes his arm and it just sort of t- turns, sort of ties uh, Tyrion's stomach into knots over it and he f- he's got that fear of losing her, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And it must be so hard for him because, the, the you know, t- Shay's a very attractive woman and there's loads of these dashing knights wandering about everywhere. It must be killing Tyrion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So he, he goes to he goes to meet her. On the way, he, he bumps into Soloris who's obviously the, on the King's Guard now. And as we said in the last time we talked about Soloris, he keeps making these fairly obvious points to anyone who's, you know, actually paying any attention that he used to be um he used to be in love with with Renly because Tyrion asks Soloris, he's quite curious Tyrion as to why someone is age sixteen who's the sort of Best, one of the best looking men in the kingdom, and everyone, you know, every yeah. woman wants to sleep with. Why would join this, the King's Guard where you can't do any of that? Yeah. And he says, um, Soloris has quite a, quite a romantic line where he says, you know, once the sun's set, no candle can replace it. Great and line. 
great line. Yeah, it is. It's be- beautifully put, yeah, isn't it? And absolutely. it really sums up just just why why he's doing this. He's, he says, "What's the point now? You know, that part of my life's over already." Yeah, uh, it's very romantic. Yeah, very much. Um, he's, he he is a he is the most romantic character in the book, isn't he? Because he's what a romantic knight would be. He's what mm. sort of Sansa imagines when he think when she thinks of knights. It seems. Yeah, he's just this guy who's a fantastic fighter. Wants to do seems to want to do the right thing and. Um, you know, really goes along with this sort of chivalry yeah. aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. So Tyrion meets up with with Shay, and they they have they have like a, a night, well, a few hours together. I the thing that really struck me here more than ever before, I felt that Shay was using sex to get what she wants mm. out of Tyrion. Mm. Um, she's sort of she's almost in the middle of when they when they sort of in bed together, sort of asking him questions about, you know, can she have her nice things back and yeah. does she have to still stay as a serving wench? And I just thought, you know, from a detached perspective, you're thinking, is this a whirlwind romance between two people or is she really genuinely just a, just a whore doing a job? Yeah. Well, and, you know, she could be forgiven for doing that because she says later in the chapter, yeah. you know, that um, that you know that she knows that she can't, be there as his lady so she you know you know she's out looking for her own her own angle because nobody else is going to give her a piece of theirs um mm. but i was i was really infuriated with her in this thing i was like yeah you stupid woman you're very 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 in danger and all you're after is the your trinkets like you know what i mean yeah. you have to have a better survival instinct than this yeah, and it's it's funny, isn't it? Because on the one hand, I think she she does she is, does seem fond of. It's hard to tell with shape. She seems fond of Tyrion, mm. but also you get the feeling that this is what she does. You know, this is her job, and she's paid to seem fond of people anyway. Mm. So it very much feels like a business relationship from her point. Whereas Tyrion is head over heels in love with her, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. For reasons um, that aren't terribly clear to me. Uh, I think we spoke about it ages ago, where it's just she she's she's good at showing that she accepts him no matter what he looks like yeah. and he's just so used to people being horrified by him and he's I suppose there's, there's the the stuff in the past as well about how him and uh, Taisha and he's got a sort of a background with someone who he thinks is you know falling in love with he, he thinks he falls in love with prostitutes he thinks just, that's what he does doesn't he the only other thing here is there's it's there's this guy called Simon Silvertong who's a singer and Shay's been we've said in the past that Shay's let a few things slip about her relationship with Tyrion to this guy, mm. and Tyrion is now very concerned about his whereabouts because he wants. At the end of the chapter, he tells Bronn to track him down mm. because this is how things could go wrong for Tyrion and Shay here, isn't it? Yeah. If word gets out, yeah. and there are very few people who know, but he's one of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very true. And she just doesn't seem to get this at all. Like I actually lost a lot of respect for her because I thought she was quite a quite a sharp cookie. And I thought she kind of mm. understand what he was trying to do and what was what the kind of moving parts of this were. But actually, she just seems to be like, "Oh, he's nice. He plays me all the songs. It's lovely." You know, <laughs> like, "Yeah, you silly woman, you're in danger." Yeah. Next up, mm. Aya, and something happens. <gasps> it's not just Aya walking around. Because they Aya Aya and Chums, so Aya, Gendry and Aya Hot Pie. And Chums, the spin off <laughs> children's story from the Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. Well it is a bit it starts off a bit spin off. They're raiding a garden, like Peter Rabbit style, oh, making carrots love it. and love it. and cabbages and stuff. Mr. McGregor um, coming round the corner. 
<laughs> yeah, only it's not Mr. McGregor. It's uh, it's Lem Lemon Cloak, Tom Seven Streams, and Angie the Archer. I think these um, names is it Angie or Angai? What do you think? Um, we need to we need to decide this now, don't we? Because he he's mentioned again uh, and again and again. Hang on a second, yeah. I'm trying to get through it. Um, it'd be it'd be Angie if it was French, wouldn't it? Um, oh right, yeah, it was A N G U Y, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the only way the Angai, I suppose you say Angi, Angui, um, Angui. No, we're not doing Angui. that. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Angui, Gui, watcher. Um, uh, why don't we just say Angui? Angui. All right. Okay. Cool. I'm really angry yeah, so, now. I'm <laughs> really angry now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, these th- these three guys come across come across. Aya and her Aya and Chums. And there's this kind of tense standoff where it's re- actually, it's really good. So, so Aya is sort of, it, <laughs> they, they, these three blokes come down the road and they basically speak in loud voices about how they're going to shoot arrows over the wall um, <laughs> to make the people come out. It's quite nice how they do it, really. Yeah. Um, it's, it's sort of a, a threat without being a threat. If you like, um, and there's a bit of a smile on the face as they do it, isn't there? And and there's a great bit where I is there and um, sort of hang on, let me see if I can find it in the book because it really it made me laugh. Like yeah, so I I sort of steps out and says, "Go on your way and leave us alone, and I won't kill you." And the the men obviously find that hilarious. And then Gendry sort of says, "She's not alone," and rides out on his horse. Hmm. And it says, in his chainmail shirt and sword in hand, Gendry looked almost a man grown and dangerous. Hot pie looked like hot pie. And that was <laughs> <it>. <laughs> this little like this little fat kid wandering out behind this yeah, guy. He's looking really dangerous. Hello, I'm hot pie. <laughs> I am anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's it's just a a case of the. the the first, what, 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 huh, what I want to say is, what, what are your first impressions of these three blokes? Lem Lemon, Lem Lemon Cloak is this big knight with a big yellow cloak. Mm. Tom Seven Streams, who's this singer with a, a lute who mm. looks quite unassuming at first, mm. and uh, Angie the Archer, who's uh, sort of obviously this very talented bowman. Mm. Um, well, it's weird that they get such a sort of jovial intro, isn't it? Because ordinarily you'd be like, oh yeah, these people on the road again. Um, you know, this is going to be these dangerous people. I just assume anybody that Arya comes across is likely to send her back into yet more secret identity servitude. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, but then they get this really kind of jovial introduction, and you are a bit like, "What's the score here?" Then I don't really know what they're about. I'm, you know, hmm. and I'm I'm willing to go with it. You know, I don't don't trust them at all, but I think it will be interesting uh, to see. Yeah, there's a there's a example of how Angry's this archer is really talented in that he sort of draws and fires before you could even sort of move, mm. and the, the arrow whiz, whizzes past Aya's head, mm. and she says you missed, and he says if you think I missed, you're more of a fool than you look. Um, we've seen this guy before. Do you do you remember he's been mentioned very briefly before? Mm. Um, did you pick up on it? Um, no, I didn't. It's really hard to. It's, oh, it's, it's no, almost a no, throwaway on, line. Is this is this the end that they were at? Um, uh, Brienne and Jamie in that. 
That's one thing, yeah. Yeah, so so they 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 end up at this inn and it's the inn of the kneeling man. And it's quite nice, isn't it, how yeah. they there's this crossover yeah. and they almost they're almost meeting with that close, Jamie and I are here. Yeah, yeah. But they just miss each other. But specifically Angie, he oh, is um, do you remember when there was that massive tournament, the hands the tournament at the hand of the king in King's Landing? Yeah, yeah. And there were these three different things. There was the melee, there was the jousting, and there was the archery. And this young archer won the archery contest oh, and sort yeah. of and, and Ned offered to take him into his service and Angie was so drunk and, and sort of living it up that he said no thanks and yeah. wandered off. Yeah. Well, that's him. <laughs> He's oh, just turned really? up again now. Actually, wasn't Thorough... Well, cause it, well, so because later on... Um, uh, they they sort of turn into this uh, Robin Hood kind of vibe, and one of the mm. people that's out in the forest, the, the main one is Beric Dondarrion, but actually with him is this this uh, this priest called Thoros of Mir, um, yeah, who's who's a kind of punk version of the Red Lady, because um, he serves the Red God as well, but he's like all up for getting pissed and stuff. Um, yeah. But he's also at that at that um, tournament, isn't he? He's also like yeah, he seems is, yeah. to attend these tournaments just to sort of kick ass and then wander off again, and nobody yeah. really knows where he goes. He's really respected as a warrior, but he's not attached to any house. He's just like sort of, yeah, I fight, I kill, I drink, I go into the forest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you you think that these two are probably have ended up sort of joining up together, or yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Mm. And uh, I, I thought it was just, it's just a lovely callback that you just get like a throwaway name two books ago and suddenly he appears again. <laughs> I, just, I love those kind of connections. I think they're really, really clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the, the, the three men eventually say, you've got, basically, you've got to come with us. Um, it's basically too dangerous to be out on your own. Mm. And in the end, they all head off to this inn. Mm. On the way... Um, the Tom Seven Streams starts singing uh, The Burr and the Maiden Fair and Hot Pie joins in really loudly. Love this it. is quite a nice moment. Again, Hot Pie just being a child and enjoying himself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The Inn of the Kneeling Man is, um, there's this really domineering woman there now who is the wife of the innkeeper we saw when Jamie was there and she wasn't around when Jamie turned up. Mm. And we get this little crossover. She She's mentioning things about what her husband did when uh, these other people came along. And there seemed to be this, this vague plan that the uh, the innkeepers were supposed to get Jamie, these Jamie and Brienne into a trap so that this group could sort of mm. rob them, if you like, because mm-hmm. they need the money to keep the war effort going. Yeah. And it's just all, all sort of wrapped up, isn't it? So they did... Yeah. They did it turns out Jamie and Brienne were right to be suspicious. They narrowly avoided getting caught. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't just sort of a faceless, roving band of bandits. Yeah. It's people we we sort of relate to both sides now. Again, it's quite cleverly done and yeah. deftly done. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it, actually? Yeah. The At the end, they, they the group says that we're going to have to look after you and keep hold of you for now. Mm. And it's really sad, this, because I, uh, when they say you know, you're going to have to stay with us for a while. Aya thinks it's happening again, what happened with the mountain, and she thinks it's going to end up as torture and captivity and horrendous stuff again. And she she ends up smashing uh, Lem in the face with, a, uh, a, I think, a mug of ale and making a run for it. And it's weird because first impressions, they, they seem like a decent group of guys, these. Yeah. And, and a, an innocent child would 
quite happily get a bit of protection because as you said earlier on we've been reading the Aya chapters waiting for something terrible to happen to her and it seems like there's a chance of a bit of safety here but she's so damaged she can't even see it and she can't take it she tries to run away mm. yeah and um and it's this kind of such it's such a huge gulf despite the fact that she spent all of this time now with people like Gendry and Hot Pie like she's still got this thing where she's like her will is really important to her whereas to lower born people it's just your will is probably going to get you killed and you just go along with whatever keeps you safest but she's yeah, like her freedom true. is so important to her and maybe that's a bit of the north thing as well you know mm. um you've got you know it's that whole thing you know the wildlings call themselves the free folk it's this idea of it's in a way it's quite like old school american isn't it give me freedom or give me death she just can't mm. hack being in somebody else's power yeah now just before she tries to leave as she tries to leave another group of people turn up Mm. another part of this group and amongst them is a guy called harwin Mm. who is he's the son of the old master of horse at at winterfell so he's one of ned's men Mm. and he he recognizes her just about she sort of starts she recognizes him and starts shouting and say you know who i am Mm. and she gets really teary because she can't even remember who she is, who she was, her own. Because no one's called her it so long. She's been different people for so long. Yeah, she she sort of grasps at trying to remember who she was before all this happened to her. And and in the end, it's Harwin. I think it's Harwin who actually gives her her name and, yeah. and works out who she is before she tell because she can't tell him. And it's just really again, it's, it's really sad. Isn't it's it? amazing. And this is where you start to see how all of this trauma has affected Arya. You know, she's got she's 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 very set on. Um, getting to Riverrun. She's not forgotten her family and she loves them, but she has forgotten her name. And that's where you start to see how all of this horrible stuff that's happened to her is starting to affect her. Uh, this, mm. and the fact that she's so merciless about dealing with dead bodies and killing people and stuff in the last few um, last few episodes we've seen of her. Yeah. So at the end of this chapter, do you think she's in quite a good place or a more dangerous place than she was at the start? Because she's now effectively a captive, but she's been people know who she is mm. they know that she's the daughter of a very important because up until this point before Harwin recognized her they just think she's some kind of waif and stray child mm. and now they know who she is is that a good or a bad thing um well it definitely makes her a valuable um hostage so bad thing on the other hand um this is somebody who's actually from winterfell not a Bannerman, mm. not a not a Kerwin or a, a Bolton or a, an Umber or any of those, but a Stark, like a sworn to Winterfell guy. Presumably one of the guys who was sent out... Um, it says that here, doesn't it, actually? Yeah, he's one of the guys who was sent out by Ned in order to mm. in order to hunt people down. Um, yeah. When back, way back when, when Ned's still the Hand of the King and, and the mountain is off marauding around the place and he's one of the guys who was sent out to kind of, to kind of rein that shit in. And, mm. um, so on the, so he's sworn to her house. On the other hand, her house are in a very, 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 very reduced situation right now. And, yeah. um, and her father's dead. So the fact that he was influential doesn't matter in the slightest. So it's a bit like, I, you know, I really don't know how this is going to play out. Yeah. I suppose the thing is with the, the hostage thing, on one hand, she's a valuable hostage. Bad news because they're not going to let her go easily. Mm. But also good news insofar as now 
they'll all know that it's important she doesn't get killed yeah. <laughs> because because yeah. it's their it's their pay it's their payday, isn't it? Yeah. That's so true, at least yeah. she'll be protected now. You'd expect. Yeah. Well, but yeah. I mean, but look at the good that's done, Sansa. You know. So if it turns well, out that exactly. these men have have had some weird crossover thing and they've ended up working for somebody else, like this is this can go bad, but quick. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Okay. Next up is Catelyn. And we find out what's going to happen to her when Rob comes back. Rob's returned, and you're sort of bracing yourself, thinking it's going to be a it's going to be a strap yourself in chapter for Catelyn because she's going to get some serious justice coming down on her now. Yeah. Um, Rob is actually when he greets her in the in the great hall, he's really apprehensive, mm. and you just wonder, ooh, what's happened here? Yeah. Um, Car- uh, most of the bannermen seem. I mean, the, the, some of them. They obviously know it's a mistake. Some of them are quite cold to to Catelyn. Carstark's almost mutinous. He's that angry with her. Yeah. Um, but some of the others are really like supportive. And it's it was like I, mean, I think the great John ends up picking her up and like swinging around. And <laughs> Daisy Mormont says it, it's you know it's, I'd have done the same if it was one of my kids. Yeah. And. I think they all know that it's it's a mistake, and but the it's almost like a a family kind of moment, isn't it? And it's one of those things, you know, like when someone in the family's done something wrong and is really ashamed of it, and then everybody rallies round and says it's okay. And it felt like that, and it felt like there's a real family unit in the Starks as well, at uh, the Stark Bannermen, mm. and this idea of the the Bannermen serve the Starks because they love them and because of that yeah. kind of loyalty yeah. rather than fear and obligation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's what you've always loved about this whole vibe, isn't it? And uh, the, what the great John does here is great. He's this little like beam of light in that he is this. He's like there's no arguing with him if he's against you, but if he's for you, he fucking loves you. And is this like yeah. he is a bear of a man? Um, yeah. And it's just nice to see. You know, he's quite jovial and quite gregarious. Um, uh, but yeah, all is not well though. You know, we've seen some of these some of these bannermen um, get angry and, and gallop out of the place. Um, mm. Carstark is pissed, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Rob's kind of being standoffish. He's not in front of everybody, not saying you shouldn't have done that, or I'm glad you did that. Yeah, um, you know, he kind of it's, welcomes it's, her provisionally. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable that Carstark is so angry because two of his sons were killed by Jamie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and now now he's been released, and you you know, if anyone's going to be furious over that. More than anyone else, it would be Carstark, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, very true. So we find out why Rob isn't so angry about it mm. because he says, you know, we all do things sort of out of love and things like that. Mm. And it's at this point that he introduces uh, Mrs. Rob, um, his new wife, who's just appeared from nowhere. Does. Of course um, he does. And I bet she, she's, and, and I bet she's not the one that he was supposed to marry either. <laughs> no, and the thing is, you know that Catelyn will be absolutely opposed to it and be furious with Rob, mm. but she can't be because he's sort of he's almost trapped her by forgiving her. Yeah, um, it's this girl called Jane Westerling. So what's happened is Rob got injured, as you remember, mm. and this girl called Jane looked after him. Mm. She's the daughter of the Crate Call, uh, not so the people at the Crag, the Westerlings, who mm. I think they're, Lan- they're Lannister Bannermen. Mm. And um, she looked after him, and it's this sort of whirlwind romance between two teenagers, which has ended up with them sleeping together and Rob being, because of his honour, marrying her the next day, effectively. 
So suddenly he's broken off his alliance with the Freys and married hmm. and married this Lannister daughter of a Lannister bannerman. Yeah. And the, the this house has come on side with Rob now. And the thing is, he's got a he's got a house, but um the Frey marriage had secured it says three thousand soldiers yeah. and another thousand knights. And uh Jane Westerling's house has brought with them uh fifty swords and twelve knights. <sighs> So it's it's tiny. It's almost inconsequential. Yeah. yeah. And you just think, and, and then Catelyn remembers that a, a load of Freys um, rode off. It seemed in anger mm. a few days ago, mm. and obviously that's explained now. That's why yeah. they're not going to be pleased with this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's such a complicated moment, isn't it? It's so complicated. You've got, um, you know, kind of. <laughs> I mean, Rob's, in one sense, is really tactically astute here. He kind of outmaneuvers his mother and mm. makes sure that she's, she welcomes his new wife. But what a yeah. stupid thing to do. Um, I thought there was a really interesting um, difference, though, between the book and the TV series. The TV series basically have it, has it as this kind of, like, hot romance, like, I just want you. And, uh, mm. and, and it's kind of, it's like Rob thinks with his trousers and it gets him into trouble. Whereas, um, whereas in the book, it's because he wants to be honourable. It's because he sleeps with this girl, and then he's like, "Well, I might have got a kid on her. I'm not going to father any bastards, you know. Hmm. You know, I'm going to marry her." And it's exactly, exactly the same kind of honour that you saw Ned leading his life with, right? Yeah. Yes, honour and damn the consequences. Exactly. That's precisely what it is: honour and damn the consequences. Yeah, and. Yeah, you're right. He's, he's he's very tactically astute in the way he's handled his mother, mm. but he's not his mother. He needs to keep on side, yeah, is it? Yeah. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. and you just think, oh, you just think, oh, just, especially when Catelyn puts it in those terms: how many men the phrase were bringing with them, mm. and how many men Jane Westerling's house has got. Yeah. You just think, oh, it's not. It's the worst time to ta- when with the Lannisters having a big victory at King's Landing. Yeah. It's the worst time for something like this to, to happen. To lose half your army. I tell you what, actually, also yeah. made me think: where the fuck are the Freys getting all of this loyalty from? They are to a man, spiky and slimy, unpleasant. You know, kind of creepy at times. And and how the fuck have they got all of these knights and swords and that? Like they don't inspire. <laughs> it, must be, it, must, it must be. It must be Walder just just. Firing out the suns left, right, and centre. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true, actually, isn't it? It's, uh, it says that when they first introduce him, is Walder Frey is the only person who can uh, field an army out of his britches. <laughs> that's true. I suppose that's what it must be. But that's no, a thousand knights. That's that's no, no that's small output. <laughs> yeah. Um, Grey Wind, uh, Rob's direwolf, mm. has been sent away. He's not kept in the throne room anymore. Mm. Um, and he used to always be at Rob's side, and Catelyn sees this as a bad sign. Mm. And there are two reasons. One is it's an example of just a sort of head over heels in love that Rob is, that the fact that some of Jane's household aren't comfortable with... And I think, actually, he, he scares Jane as well. Yeah. So he so he sort of he sends his wolf away. And also, the wolf's become more wild since... It's, he said he, he says, I shouldn't have taken him into battle. Because mm. he's killed loads of men now, and he doesn't think twice about doing it at all, mm. you know. And it's this raid; it's almost like a an extension of Rob, and he's awakened something almost inside him, which is mm. 
really quite dangerous, and mm. that's why he's got to be careful where he takes his wolf name. Mm. It's not this docile little pet anymore. Mm. Yeah, 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 very true. Um, and Caitlin's response to that is fascinating, isn't it? This really came out of left field. I didn't see it at all. She's just like, mm. send away all the people that freak out your wolf, keep your wolf next to you. Like, she's she's bang on this kind of your pet is your your safety kind mm. of your 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 radar. Yeah, and Rob, Rob's response to that's interesting. He says, well... You know, I I used to think that, and then, but and I also thought that about Bran and Rickon's wolves, and look what happened to them. But they're still alive, Rob. They're still alive. <laughs> you don't even know. Don't make these yeah. poor life choices. <laughs> so shouts everybody reading. Yeah. Uh, okay. There's another mis- another mistake which apparently has happened is that this big battle that Edmure won at the Fords. Mm where he routed the Lannister forces and sent them packing, which we thought was a great result, turns out was a mistake because the the reason Rob was running amok for so long in the Lannister lands was to draw in Tywin's army mm. so they could attack them. Yeah. And Edmure has obviously stopped that happening and held them up at the fords long enough for them to get word of what was happening at King's Landing and then do a forced march down there to save the city. Mm. So... This victory, in a sense, has has been a massive defeat in the grander scheme of things, <laughs> by almost by accident. Yeah. And Rob's like really angry, saying, "You know, you were told to hold River and nothing else. Yeah. We didn't order you to attack." And look, it's a fair point, but I came down on a fair bit on Edmure's side here because he's basically saying, "I saw an opportunity and I took it," mm. and you know that's what you know that's what good commanders do. And I think he's right. And I think if Rob wants, has this grand plan to draw Tywin over, mm. he's got to tell Edmure. He can't just mm-hmm. assume Edward's going to sit in his castle for the rest yeah. of the day. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that just really rankled with me a little bit. And I thought it's a bit of an experience, but it's a, it all gets dumped on Edmure. In the series, even more so, he yeah. just looks like an idiot, yeah. Edmure. Yeah. But it, it all gets dumped at his door, and everyone blames him. And I just think, in, in some ways, it's just a really poor. Um, lack of communication here on yeah. um, in a com- on a commander's part. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, especially in an era where you've got it's like, it's like outsourced warfare. Like you're not always in constant communication with all the people who are superficially fighting with you. Um, hmm. So you kind of have to give them the necessary information. Otherwise, they are going to yeah. go off and do stuff like this. Mind you, though, from a tactical standpoint, what a fuck up. Like yeah. you know, in winning, in winning a victory, he's actually enabled Tywin Lannister to go back and win the kingdom. Yeah, <sighs> massive. And, and what a what a what a stroke of luck on Tywin Lannister's part, because he was desperate to get back to his lands, and if he'd have succeeded, if he'd have actually yeah. managed to cross, uh, if Edmure hadn't been as good a commander, mm. then that would have been it. Stannis would be on the throne now. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> the road <sighs> less travelled, Matt. Yeah. The last thing we see here is that the new plan, uh, Rob's new plan, is to just get back north and take back Winterfell because that's what kings need to do. Mm. He's got Sir Roderick up there at the moment. He expects Winterfell to to fall soon because the last he's heard, Sir Roderick surrounded it and he's about to take it back. But he needs to take the rest of his kingdom back. And, And the only way he can do that is by going up and taking Moat Kaelin, which is going to be a really dangerous battle because few armies have ever won 
It says no um, army actually, ever won it from the south, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a frontal attack down this causeway, because yeah. basically you've got this, you've got this swampland and one route through it, and then a massive castle in the middle of it. So if you if you wander up this road, you get annihilated by the defenders in the castle. Yeah, and there's no other way in. Yeah, they, they need the if they're going to take Mount Kaelin, they're going to go up this causeway and do it. They're going to need more men, mm. and to do that, they're going to have to get the phrase back on side. But they just can't see a way of doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's where they kind of leave it. Yeah. Sort of how can they possibly get someone back on, get the phrase back on side? Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting compared to the series, they do this differently in the series. Do you remember? Um, Rob decides the only option open to him now is to go on the front foot and try to take Casterly Rock. So they decide to oh, yeah. decide to go on the offensive yeah. and then they need the phrase to do that. So he goes back and grovels. Yeah, because Rob says if I, in the series, if I go north, that we're not going to come back south again. Yeah. Because once once my sort of men return home, they're not going to want to come out again. Yeah. So it's just interesting that they made that change for the series. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure why. I suppose because it's too complicated explaining how difficult it is to go back north. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of exposition required in this, isn't there? But I mean, mm-hmm. that's sort of one of the that's one of the risks of doing business in this sort of story, isn't it? <laughs> you can't go around avoiding exposition. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to John. Oh, John! Uh, up in north of the wall, yeah. and there's he sees some giants, and these are different kinds of giants than you see in the TV series. These are massive, hairy guys mm. um, with long legs. They almost reminded me a bit of Bigfoot, mm. um, and they ride mammoths. And there's this one uh, one which is because of I've got grey hair called Mag the Mighty, who's the leader of them, mm. and it just seemed like a a really interesting extra point. I love just the appearance of giants. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's really, really great, isn't it? Um, uh, and there's a really interesting bit later on where there's kind of a hint as to the history of the, the giants and kind of where they've come from and, and what they're about. Um, and I love I love John's response to walking with them because they do look really weird. At one point it says that like the bottom half of their torsos is like twice as wide as the top half of their torsos. So they're almost like kind of, you know, like Monty Python animated sort of you know the uh, or um like the beatles movie yellow submarine um yeah. i just kind of yeah, really have that sort of vibe from it um yeah and and john's acting like he's walking with like with fairy tales and he keeps he keeps trying to find out how these things have come to be there and it's it's wonderful little sight of john being almost like a kid because he's like kind of like he's kind of like, yeah, but did the Pixies bring them? or? I mean, that's not actually what he says, but you can imagine like a kind of yeah. 13, 14-year-old boy who's still got that kind of taste of childhood. Um, he's like kind of, yeah, but seriously, where the fuck have these come from? I thought this was just a story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you would be like that, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely right. I love this. Um, he's with Tom in Giantsbane now, isn't he? Mm. He's sort of under his wing. Mm. And... Um, there's some great stories. He's like, I tell you what, this guy tells a great story, doesn't he? He does, And yeah. there are two here. One of them, my favourite one, is the giant one, where he gets this phrase, he gets named Giant's Bane, because apparently he's killed a giant. Yeah. And it turns out he hasn't, really. What happened was, when he was younger, he got lost in a snowstorm and thought he was going to die of exposure, but found this found this giant that he thought was dead. So cut open its belly and climbed into it yeah. for, for warmth. And then when the storm passed, the, the giant woke up, despite the fact his belly was split open, pulled um, 
pulled Tom out, thought it was a baby, and sort of raised it almost as it's young. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's just a fantastic story, isn't it? Like, yeah. just, and it's just like, I was there three months. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> I don't want to be called Thorin Giant's babe. I just love, absolutely love it. Like this is, this is, this, I, I almost hear him as like a pub raconteur, you know, like he's, he's sort of like the, it's like the best kind of war stories basically, isn't it? Yeah. 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 There's also this story where he sleeps with this woman who's so vicious that she's like a bear as well, which he tells. Mm. And that gets, gets them onto a story, uh, gets them onto Egret. Mm. And he's asking John why he isn't sleeping with Egret yet. Yeah because it's obvious that she's into him. And it's obvious that John does feel something for her as well, mm. because he's sort of, he's, he's fighting with himself, isn't he, about it? Yeah, yeah. And what I like about Egret in the book is that, I mean, I really like the girl who plays her in the series. Mm. I think she does a really good job. But she's really pretty, the girl in the series. Mm. And um, in the book, she's described as really quite ugly, Egret. Yeah. And John even thinks she is when he meets her. Yeah. And he sort of slowly falls for her anyway, because he notices sort of, little things about her as it go on, as it goes on and I, that's just a bit more believable to me because these people are so um it's so rugged and hard up there you're not going to get great really beautiful people but in in the same way that but there is obviously there is a, something there which is beyond that and I just sort of preferred that to the series, um, as, as as good as the girl is who plays her in the series. Yeah, I think they go two very different directions with this. And again, like the relationship with Egret here is very, very different because in the TV series, it's kind of it's kind of sexy banter time. You know, there's, yeah. there's tension. <laughs> that's what it is. There's uh, there's tension, and there's kind of uh, there's a, a sense of John meeting somebody who's just to- just so totally beyond him, cleverer than him probably better at fighting than him um, and a woman, and he's just so confused. Um, Whereas in the book, it's much more like she really fancies him and keeps trying to sleep next to him, and he's just like, no, go away. Um, (laughs) And comes to it via a very different route. And I did like what the TV series did with it, but this, I found Egret a much more sympathetic character, you know, Um, in the the TV series. Uh, I thought she had the... I I don't know the name of the actress, but she plays her incredibly well in the TV series, but... um, but plays her to a different kind of brief that was less accessible for me. Mm. Egret is with John still because she's basically left Rattleshirt's group mm. to join Tormund's mm. because she says you can ride with who you like when you're in the free foot. You're not. It's not like in the South where this is your lord and that's who you're going to serve for the rest of your life. Mm. You just sort of go between and pick who you want to sort of stay with for as long as you want. Doesn't really bode very well for any kind of uh, combat discipline, does it, if it comes to a fight? Oh, we're losing. No, it- I, I exercise my right as the free folk to go and fight with them over there who are winning. Yeah, but it also it also means that you have to... It, it makes it more important that you're a good leader. If you're a bad leader, you just lose your, oh, that's you lose your supporters. Yeah. Whereas the, the problem with it in the South, as we've seen, is that bad or even maniacal leaders... Mm. Keep this really strong support just because of who they are, mm. and and in the in the in the north at least they get they're led by people who, you know, the people want them to lead. Mm. So that's quite. I mean, there is that, and there's also the fact that you can be so ruthless that everyone's too afraid to leave you anyway, which is probably how some of these guys are are still in power. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So so yeah, wildlings ride with who they want to and follow who they want to. Mm. So I just thought. In the same vein as we did with the Kingsguard and the Houses of the Starks, 
mm-hmm. we could uh, pick a a leader each to ride with. So oh, nice, leader. nice. All right, cool. cool. So. Shall I run you down all, all the sort of the main players in the Wildling army? Hit me and up. you can pick a, a group to go with. Yeah, yeah. So so there's this guy called the Weeper who's got these watery eyes and seems incredibly particularly ruthless and dangerous. Mm. Um he reminded me a little bit of sort of a wildling version of Roose Bolton, actually, just because of those eyes. Yeah, yeah, like superficially um, laughable, but you wouldn't ever yeah, laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's this guy called Steer, the Magna of Then, who is a... Uh, this guy, I think he's bald with no ears. Mm. Um, and also, I think, the, I think the Thens are sort of the most organised group. Mm. Um, more so, I think they've got proper weapons and stuff and they, they have more of a social system than any anyone else. Yeah. Um, so they're a bit of a more cohesive group. There's Harmer Dogshead, this woman who hates dogs so much that she kills one every few days and puts it as a banner. <laughs> So she stick. It's basically a, a dog's head on a spike. Is what she sort of rides in front of everybody with, Bloody hell. and she always makes sure there's a fresh one there every few days. Yeah. Um, if you particularly dislike dogs, she might take your fancy. There's, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's Varmia Six Skins, mm. who's a wog. You know, like John's. So we can enter the bodies of animals, mm. and um, he's always got a. I think he's got. I think he rides a polar bear, and, um, <laughs> or a bear, or something like that. Yeah. And he's got. A, he's got like a, a shadow cart and a couple of other things. Yeah. A couple of wolves knocking about him as well. Mm. So he's sort of a an animal specialist, if you like. Yeah. There's Tormund, mm-hmm. who we're with at the moment, giant spam. And there's Rattleshirt, who you know we we came across before, mm. who ended up catching John and. John and Corin in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Who do you think? Oh well, I mean, since you're giving me the first choice, it's got to be Tormund just for the sheer raconteurery of it. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like uh, he's just he's. Uh, I like him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How about you? I don't know who to go for. I don't know. I, I didn't really think this through. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, well, I don't know. I mean, which one appeals to you? I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. If I didn't, if I hadn't already heard Tormund speak, I would definitely have gone with Mister Polar Bears. Because I think that's just <laughs> fucking great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll go for I'll go for polar bear man then. Awesome. Varmir six skins. Varmir six skins. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm all down with him. I'm riding in his party with his polar bear and his. I mean, I'm not a big fan of animals, so it's going to be a struggle. But um, <laughs> you can do it, man. Especially ones bigger than me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, there's this the the break into song as they march him. Uh, it's a song about the giants, and this felt very Lord of the Rings to me because uh, this is what. I mean, and George Martin's a massive fan, so much to the point he's called himself George R. R. Martin, yeah. kind of as a homage to J.R.R. Tolkien. Is, did he really do um, that? Is that where the R.R. comes from? I, I assume so. I mean, Mark might be wrong, but it seems like quite a coincidence, doesn't it? The greatest fantasy writer of all time, and then this guy who want, obviously wants to write a similar epic kind of story yeah. takes the same middle initials. Could, there you that go. Could, be, could be wrong. Um, just made a jump to that. I'm, you, you know what? You are absolutely right. He was born George Raymond Martin, and then he called himself yeah. Richard as well. George Raymond Richard go. Martin. Yeah, so he'd have RR in the middle. I'll be ah, damned. There you go. Oh, it was uh, in, no, it was his. Um, it was a confirmation name. So he'd be so so he like took another name when he got confirmed, and yeah. and uh, yeah, brilliant. What a stroke of luck. I didn't know that was going to be true, but so there it is. You, go. <laughs> you were just blagging it. Brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, but so, so there's this song. I've got to be honest. Um, I did the same thing that I did when I read Lord of the Rings. When I see 
large sort of verses of italics, I tend to skip to the next bits. I don't know. Was there anything interesting in um, it? Was, it was. You know what? There really is actually. I think you missed something really great because there's a. Um, I mean, I have to. I have to kind of fight that impulse as well because it all rhymes. So I just find myself doing the rhymes. And the challenge I have is that I end up putting it to a stupid tune. So um, I'm just trying to find it because, like, at the time, it was a particular. Um, it was really weird. I did read the Bear and the Maiden Fair um, when that when I saw the lines for that. Yeah. And I remember the first time I read it, the the sort of the tune I got in my head, and then when it came on in the series, and it was the tune was nothing like I imagined. <laughs> I tell you what I had in my head actually. I've just realised when I was reading this is um, ninety nine bottles of beer on the wall. In stone walls they burn their great fires, in stone walls they forge their sharp fears, while I walk alone in the mountains with no true companion but tears. <laughs> so it's like... That really works. It really does, but the thing is that the um, the words of it are really sad. They're like about, right. they're about how the, you know, it's like the small folk have taken everything. Um, they've stolen my forest, they've stolen my rivers and hills, and, and all of this thing, and it's about the, uh, it's about the kind of decline of the giants, right? Mm. And, um, uh, and so it's really sad, but in behind it, I've got, this is not cool at all. Yeah. Um, and John actually says, doesn't he? Oh, um, that's really weird because there are loads of uh, giants still about, aren't there? Mm. And Egret says her sort of, catchphrase which is you know nothing john snow i love that i love that phrase. you know nothing john snow great brilliant yeah yeah <laughs> I, what do you think this means because this is really interesting to me like you know it's a song about the last of the giants and mm. and she's like furious about his statement that there are hundreds of them so were there different giants were they bigger are these mm. zombie giants have we moved into zombie giant territory here? <laughs> 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 they seemed quite um i don't know Full of life for zombies, didn't they? So I'm not. Yeah, that's true. Not, I don't think they're zombies, but yeah, I think it it might be the, this um, all wrapped up in this this sense of injustice amongst the wildlings mm. that they are sort of spurned and forgotten and driven north of the wall in the same way that the the giants have been, mm. and that um, for all the sort of pomp and ceremony in the south and how people are sort of you know the the men are the best things ever and mm. all these things that are children of the forest and giants and mythical creatures mm. it's all it's a general everyone agrees that it's generally a good thing like none of those exist anymore and it's just sort of this song is from the other side of the coin isn't it mm. and it's it's a it's a it's a tale of persecution and yeah. and be, becoming effectively becoming a refugee in your own country yeah yeah, I think that's true, actually. So that's yeah, that, that is that is quite interesting, and I should have read that more carefully. Um, <laughs> well, now you'll learn next time, even if it makes you think of ninety nine bottles of beer on the wall. Yeah, this ends with uh, this. The song ends with John being attacked by that eagle. Remember Oral, who was the uh, uh, he was this bloke who could go into an eagle's body as a warg, mm. and John killed him. So he's now pretty much all he exists, all he remains is this sort of presence in this eagle he attacks john because rattleshirts come to get him to take him to mansrader mm. and it sounds like mansrader wants to see him because he's not happy about something mm. and it this is really frightening i was thinking oh no yeah um, john this could be over for john before it begins yeah yeah i thought the same um, um and uh just once again though this you know what i was saying before about like this work thing this eagle an animal that just takes a disliking to you I'm not saying I've ever had my eyes pecked out by an eagle, right? But there are cats that have looked at me a certain way. (laughs) 
Anyway. Is it is it a case is it a case of like we said with Catelyn where she said, you know, these wolves, she believes the wolf, doesn't she? When she when yeah. if a wolf takes this a dislike to one of Rob's supporters, mm. her response is send him away. Yeah. And is is this a similar thing? Because John is a spy. And the person who's obviously... I mean, Rattleshirt doesn't like him. Yeah. Man's Raider's in two minds. The eagle hates him. A, because, you know, he used to be a man and he killed him. Yeah. So there's that. But there's also, mm-hmm. you know, do do the do animals tend to seem to sort of see beneath uh, the sort of facade of people sometimes in these books? Yeah. Yeah, very true. John's taken to the top of the Fist of the First Men. They're there. They're at the Fist. And there's there's nobody there. There's just a load of dead horses, some impaled on spikes, some torn apart. Um, it's just a scene of devastation. And this is sort of, I mean, the last time we were there, it was just an attack was on the way. Mm. So there are two frightening things here. One, oh God, every, all the all the Night's Watch look like they've been killed and the bodies have disappeared. And two... Oh no! We, there's been another massive battle, and we've missed it. <laughs> yeah, which one of those bothers you the most, actually? <laughs> I'll tell you, it's the second. <laughs> um, well, yeah, uh, it's exactly that. And actually, I until you said that just then, I hadn't even, for some reason, I hadn't even clocked that. Of course, this is—they're not dead. They haven't been killed. If it was the others, then they've been turned into zombies. Zombie mm. Mormont. That's a fucking terrifying yeah. idea. Shambling around the north trying to scale up the wall whilst complaining about the different types of wine that are no longer available to him because he's dead. <laughs> yeah. Frightening. Do you reckon he's very particular about the kind of uh, people he gets? Yeah, 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 I'm very particular about the kind of brains I eat. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this is obviously... The thing is, there are that many horses and animals that I think man's can... Something's happened here. I, th- I can't remember exactly what John had told Mance Raider, mm. but it's obvious from the devastation of this battle that John has been playing them false. So Mance knows that John's not been telling the truth, mm. and this is when it gets very close to, to John being killed. Yeah. And he Mance basically becomes very. I mean, for all these sort of smiles and funny stories mm. about going south of the wall. Um, he becomes very cold and threatening now, and you can see how there, he does have this this ruthless side as well. And the only the only reason I think that John survives this and isn't killed mm. is that Egret speaks up for him and says that we've been sleeping together. And Mansrade, I think it's not surpri- this sort of softens Mansrade because it's kind of he relates to it, doesn't he? This is the, one of the big reasons he left the Night's Watch. Mm was sort of this these sort of emotions pulling him towards wildling people and wildling women, if you like. And in the end, he decides to send John over the wall. He's not exactly a ringing endorsement to John because he says to Steer, the Magna of Then, who's going to sort of lead this raiding party, you know, if if you don't like the look of him, kill him. Mm. Um, but he might be useful yeah. because he can give you some information. Yeah. So he's sort of... He's sort of Jon Snow hangs by a thread here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you are on the edge of your seat. And Egret basically says as they're going back, you know, I didn't lie um, as long as you sort of follow through on it yeah. and basically, basically send away your uh, send away your wolf tonight yeah. because uh, because wow 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 I can feel it, now, baby. <laughs> Hang a sock over the doorknob yeah. on your tent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay uh, next chapter next chapter 
Next chapter, Sansa gets a new dress. She is suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole chapter. That would, the, that would be the summary in the Radio Times for this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so Sansa has got this... Cersei's ordered Sansa to have a new luxurious dress made for her. Mm. A, a rare act of kindness from Cersei, and of course she will be suspicious when she does something like that. Rare? Fucking unprecedented. <laughs> um, rather um, unusually for Sansa, things are improving more widely. Mm. She's, um, she's, she's fallen in with the Tyrell, Tyrells now. Mm. They're all pretty nice to her. They're these groups of Tyrell children or you know teenage girls who she really gets on with and really likes. Um, and she's got a group of friends again. And for the first time, I think, she's actually quite happy here now um these Tyrell girls one of them is about to is going to marry um a uh one of the like newly made knights and apparently it was it's this love story of how they both fell in love before Blackwater and this this knight performed these great feats of bravery during the battle Mm. and there's you know that they've they've heard that he shouted this girl's name um, as he was sort of charging into into the battle and things like that And they're all, all the girls are sort of swooning about the gallantry uh, of war hell. and things like that. And so, the San, you just get this line where Sansa uh, thinks that she, she pitied and envied their innocence, yeah. really. Yeah. And and it's just it just shows how, you know, Sansa would have been right in the middle of that a, a year ago, wouldn't she? Mm. But she just sort of knows better now and knows of the real horrors of it as well. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um... And obviously that's a great moment for me because I've been frustrated with Sansa for a long time. And it's so nice that she herself has this revelation of like, man, I used to believe some shit. Um, yeah. And uh, and particularly this idea of somebody yelling out somebody's name while going into battle. Like, sounds great in a story. If you actually visualise it, he wouldn't get past the first guy. Because it you like, how can you possibly maintain kind of like the fire of battle and your blood's up, swords in your hand, you're going to kill every fucker. If you go in... Yeah. Marjorie! <laughs> it's not, it's not going to work, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Um, Mar- speaking of Marjorie, um, the, the Tyrell Oh, yeah, it wasn't Marjorie marry... was calling out, was it? I forget who it was. No, but I mean, yeah. whoever it was. But speaking of Marjorie, she's going to marry Joffrey and Sansa's worried for her. Sansa really likes Marjorie. Mm. She's really kind to her. They become pretty good friends. And she's terrified for her because she knows how monstrous Joffrey can be. Mm. And... Marjorie is obviously just completely trusts Sir Loras. She's got Sir Loras under the King's Guard to look after her, mm. and she believes that her brother will be able to do that because he's one of the finest knights in the kingdom, and he'll be, you know, he'll be able to stop the the worst excesses of Joffrey. Because apparently, there's this story way back when where this guy called the Dragon Knight was was a, a king's member of the King's Guard in the same way, or he was uh, he was attached to the king in some way and managed to protect his relative from the from a bad king. Yeah. So she feels that's going to happen. Um, it's pretty brave of her. Hmm. And also, ooh, I don't know. I mean, Joff, we've, what we've seen of Joffrey, how likely is it that he'll be cowed by a 16-year-old boy? I don't know. Well, quite. Um, and particularly one that's in his king's guard, you know? Yeah. 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 You, you feel she's... She, in the same way that... Do you remember when the Queen of Thorns was talking to him, she was saying that her... Her son, Mace Tyrell, who's the the Lord of, Hi- of Highgarden, is sort of riding on the back of a lion, yeah. and it's a dangerous thing to do. Yeah. I've really got that sense here as well. That's exactly what sort of my figuratively mm-hmm. my Marjorie doing. Um, 
and it's going to be very dangerous for all the Tyrells, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but this, this this plan to have uh, Sansa married off to Willis is still sort of moving along as well, and Marge is planning to... This plan's being put in place to get Sansa to leave, to go to Highgarden. Mm. And when Sansa lets this slip to Sedontos in the... Uh, in the woods, in the sort of in the Godswood, mm. Dontos is really devastated and says it's a it's a it's it's the wrong idea, and you know I'm going to get you away from the city, and you need to continue to trust me. And he says the Tyrells are only marrying you for your title, and don't trust them. Yeah. And and Sansa basically says, "No, screw that. I want to go to Highgarden." And that's basically where she leaves it. Yeah. Um, what did you make of the Sedontos element here? Is is he genuinely worried for her, or is there something else going on? I don't really oh, know. Well, he's not done a lot to convince me that he's not just a creepy motherfucker. <sighs> but um, he might also have a valid point. Highgarden's a long way away from anybody who cares about Sansa. Um, mm. You know, she's no reason to. You know, <laughs> I mean, after if if your primary kind of dealings have been with the Lannisters, then anybody's going to look like a saint. But I've seen mm. nothing to convince me that the, that the Tyrells of Highgarden are saints. Um, yeah. So I think if I was her, I'd be like, oh, yeah, get out, go north. Mm. Uh, even if it means having to hang around this manifestly creepy old dude. Um, <laughs> keeps naming himself after a fucking fairy tale. That is, that is, <laughs> like, and the more I hear this, the creepier it gets. Um, <laughs> but if I was Sansa, I would still, I would still go along with it and just sort of, mm. you know, carry a sock full of coins or something you know um, <laughs> just make sure that you can punch him and put him out because because that's the direction you need to go and this is who you need to go there with it's just that he's just he's not right Sedantos he's really not no okay last chapter for today it's been a mammoth one this there hasn't we it? go come on um, it, it's Aya and we've got this sort of uh, hot pie has gone there's the first thing they've left the inn now and hot pies decided to stay there and cook for the uh because the, the basically the innkeepers no one knows how to make bread properly mm. and he feels he's found himself at an angle there to get in so he wants to stay there you can understand it he's a, he's a little boy it's safe he gets you know hot meals to eat mm. and he decides you know what i'm gonna stay with these uh with this family mm. and it's it's kind of bittersweet because i really enjoyed hot pie being here but also, it's nice to see that he's actually going to be somewhere it seems relatively safe. Mm. I mean, Arya misses him, it says, but um, but Harwin makes up for it, you know, this guy from her household. Yeah, and I, I so. totally felt that with Harwin, like that, that sense of, like, like, hot pie's all right, but honestly, this is a guy who actually knows who I am. And that's really meaningful, yeah. I think, to a, to a, uh, an adolescent child, really. Mm. Um, uh, I, was, I was quite sad to see Hot Pie go, because he is good for a laugh. Um, so I'm kind of curious as to if this is like if the price for Arya having a plot is that there's even fewer laughs I'm not certain that that's a trade-off that's worth it but I just you know we'll, we'll see where this goes um, it, there's a bit, it's quite sad with Harwin because Arya tells him uh, of his dad Harwin's dad was the master of horse for the Starks and if you remember when Arya was escaping the castle she came across him in the stable and he was, he'd been killed by the Lannisters mm. and Howie's response is sort of like, yeah, we, we always said that dad would end up, you know, would die in a stable. Mm. We, we just thought it'd be, he'd be like kicked by a horse or something. <laughs> we think he'd it, be, you know, stabbed to death by Lannisters. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, um, it's just a bit of a sort of a, a downbeat moment. And 
Harwin brings her up to speed as to what's happened to him since he was sent off. Because like you said, mm. Ned sent off this group under uh, the command of Beric Dondarrion to bring the mountain to justice. Mm. And it turns out that this was actually a trap uh, set for Ned. So basically the mountain went into the Riverlands and started burning a load of stuff and leaving, uh, making obvious who, who it was to try to, to get Ned to come out to, to take him to, to, to bring justice to him mm. and he was going to ambush Ned and kill him so yeah. and the only reason this didn't happen was because Ned was attacked by Jamie Lannister yeah. and was wounded so badly that he couldn't go out himself and it's another one of those things just like the Edmure and Rob situation over by the Fords yeah. where one sort of mistake almost works in favour of somebody because it kept it kept Ned alive for a bit longer didn't it um, all, albeit in the grand scheme of things he ultimately was betrayed, but yeah. he would have died a lot sooner if this had happened. Um, so this ambush happened, and the, a few of them only just survived uh, because apparently this guy called Alan, if you remember, I mean, this is a throwaway one-line character in the first book. He's one of the more able members of the Stark household, and it, it just turns out he's the guy who... One when the ambush started, got everyone together and restored order, and they all charged away, and mm. just just about got away with their lives. Mm. Lord Berwick was, I mean, they removed like half a shaft of spear from his torso, apparently, so it looked like he was dead. Yeah, uh, but somehow he survived the night, and he's sort of, he's obviously quite difficult to be killed. Clearly, so he must have this horrendous wound, but he's still he's still going. Still apparently. going strong, and that a man of and the that's north. Where they're taking are you? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. And that's where they're taking Arya, mm. to, to see this Lord Beric. Mm. Um, when Arya finds out about that, she thought they were taking her straight to Riverrun. Mm. And when she finds out, she thinks she's not sure. She's heard these terrible tales of Beric, yeah. and she doesn't think she can trust him. So she tries to escape, mm. and she leads this really merry chase across, across a lot of fields. Yeah. And in the end... Yeah. Harwin catches her because he's the son of the Master of Horse and yeah. Arya might be fast but this guy knows how to ride a horse. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, so he catches her and is really hurt mm. because she thought he was like her guy yeah. and her friend. Yeah. And it's in a typical like uh, child's way and he tries to explain to her why he's not going to sort of run away with her and says, you know, I'm, I don't serve your father. He still cares about it, you know the Stark, but he doesn't serve your father anymore. Yeah. He serves Beric because they're trying to look after just people, um, you know, the small folk, if you like, who keep having the houses turned over and the farms raised to the ground. Yeah. And that the way to do it is to get a ransom, and the way to get a ransom is to to keep hold of Arya. Yeah. And he says, you know, do you understand? And Arya sort of, in a very childlike way, a very simple way, thinks, well, yeah, I understand. I understand that you used to be loyal to my dad and now you're not loyal to him anymore. <laughs> and that's what she goes away with it. Thinking. Yeah. And you can understand that. There's a lot of, there's the kind of, there's the hurt of a child who's had their trust betrayed in that, isn't there? Um, yeah. And and obviously that's that's incredibly sad. Um, uh, I can't argue with his reasoning, though. You know, like the mm. idea of uh, again, it's the Robin Hood vibe, isn't it? It's the idea of giving a crap about people that nobody else has a reason to give a crap about. Mm. Uh, I think that was quite meaningful. I think it's quite a trick here that George Martin manages to do it in such a way that, like, do this Robin Hood riff in a way that isn't just lame, 
and actually really yeah, fits well in the world. Exactly, yeah, and, and actually makes sense in the world that he's sketched. Um, and to mm. be honest with you, in a way, makes that legend in my own culture make a lot more sense. If if the way it yeah. was was you've got these powerful people knocking around left, right, and center, and nobody gives a shit about the people that nobody gives a shit about. The idea of somebody turning up and being powerful and noble but choosing not to be part of that noble power game is actually quite a big deal, mm. I think. Yeah, yeah. And when I is taken back, um, he Arwen says, are you going to be, you know, are you going to be good now and not try and run away anymore? And she's like, yeah, 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 I'll be good. And then the, the little bit at the end is for now, as she thinks to herself. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that like yeah. little sort of childish cunning as well. Yeah, it's it's, like, yes. You've seen kids, kids do it all the time. Yeah, I'll do what you say. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like when they say yeah 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 and they kind of walk alongside you and carry on doing exactly what they were going to do before and it's like yeah i see you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but of course in this case i'm pulling for aria like i wanted to kind of pull it off yeah well i i think with aria here the best thing for her is to stay with this group and it's the first time where i've thought i hope she doesn't succeed in what she when yeah. she's trying to run away yeah. here i was thinking i hope she does get caught because yeah it's much more dangerous for her out on her own than it is with this group. Because the likelihood is, this guy, Beric, um, all the bad stories you've heard about him have come from Lannisters. Yeah. And he was obviously very well trusted by Ned Stark. Um, obviously, he's had a checkered record in trust, but still, mm. you think, you know, Harwin still likes him as well. And obviously, he was an important person in, in Winterfell. So, and everybody seems to assume that what's going to happen here is Beric's going to send her up to... Riverun to be ransomed mm. and Rob will pay the ransom because it's his sister. Yeah. So, you know, it, the smart move here, surely, is to stick with this group mm. regardless of the fact you've given up some of your power. Yeah. Well, I see that argument, but I'm still not convinced that they're that they're necessarily for it. How many how many times has somebody that you like come across a stranger, trusted them, and then had that trust be justified? Well, yeah, and the number of times that's happened to Aya is the reason she doesn't trust. Yeah, her, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm much more on on side with her reasoning than I am with perhaps the more rational reasoning that you're suggesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so right, that that is the end of uh, of this part. And um, wow, what a what a section it was. Oh, shit. And uh, yeah. We've had a lot. Of, we've had a lot go on this time. We certainly have. This book has, has rocketed out of the traps, and I'm I'm very very happy about that. A lot of people think this is the strongest book. This is the best one. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, obviously, not having read beyond this bit, I, I can't I can't really make a judgment. But I believe it. Um, although I enjoyed the Clash of Kings, like like I said, like I said at the time, you know, it was ninety five ways to go for a walk in Westeros. Um, and this <laughs> definitely seems to be breaking out of that particular narrative mode and that can only be a good thing um yeah and and coming up next we've got a samwell chapter all of a sudden sam's a yeah. pov character like that's really exciting to me because i think that character has a lot of potential um and i'm really interested to see what goes on also i want to see what, what the fuck happened with the with the, how is he not how is he not one of the others now how has he not been turned into a zombie this is it isn't it because um that was a good thing i was going to say then the other thing that sam can do is tell us what happened how how a group of 300 members of the night's watch waiting for wildlings turned into a group of dead horses and nothing else yeah that I'm curious about. Or is it, could yeah. it be, could it even be, is this a zombie POV character that we're about to see? <laughs> That'd be amazing. 
Yeah. So, so the next chapter we're reading next, start with, next week, we're starting from this chapter about Sam. It's the next chapter in the book, um, Sobbing. Sam took another step. We're reading as far as page 330 in the paperback, which is a chapter about Bran, which begins, No roads run through the twisted mountain. So when you get to Bran, which begins, No roads run through the twisted mountain, stop reading, and we will, uh, we will discuss up to that point next time. Uh, the only other thing to say, as ever, um, if you want to uh, have a, send, say anything about what's going on in the book so far or any uh, other feedback you want to have on the podcast, it is the email address sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can uh, send us a tweet. We're on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Bosh. Bosh. And then until next time, is there anything else you want to say about this part? Um, only to say that it's been great and I'm looking forward to the next one. Bring it on. All right. See you next time. See you next time.